0: I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, and as you're finding your place there, I um, want to just uh, commend JMU Dukes. Some of you I know are JMU fans, and hopefully you watched that game yesterday, it was a a great game between JMU and North Dakota State for the FCS National Championship, and unfortunately, JMU came up just a little bit short, but they played a, a great season, had a good game yesterday, and, and we're proud of, of the Dukes, but uh, I know they're probably a little disappointed and um, wishing they had brought that title home, but we're excited for them. We had some of our folks there this weekend and cheering on, on their favorite team, and and uh, hopefully if you're not a JMU fan and, and you're more of a basketball person, you're probably Excited about what's going on in uh, your world, and so if you are a Virginia Tech fan, you're, you're happy. You won yesterday, but if you're a UVA or a VCU fan, I'm sorry. I cannot say that you won, but I can say that my Arkansas Razorbacks won an on-the-road game last night. They came back from like 11 points down and won, so I'm happy this morning. I would be happy either way, but uh, I'm excited about uh, what's happening this year in my team in basketball uh, we love to see our teams be successful, right? We want our teams to be successful. No one wants to cheer for a loser. Uh, I've been cheering for a long time for a football team that's, that's, that's rough. I know Mark Duffer is a Miami Dolphin fan. He hadn't been happy since the 70s, early 70s, like 72. Um, <laughs> we want our teams to be successful. We, we love we love when teams are successful. We love when people are successful and. And uh, We love to see winners. We want to see people achieve their goals. We want, to, we want to see legacies left behind. I'm confident this morning that every single person sitting in this room wants to be a success in their own life, in their own right. You want to win. You want to do something great with the, the resources and the time that you have in this life. But here's something that we all need to understand. Winning and success do not just happen. You don't just wake up one day and, and you're a success. You don't just uh, start a season one year and, and all of a sudden you're the national champion. No, it takes intentionality. It takes hard work. It takes it takes a lot of planning and strategy and, and working toward a goal. It's quite the opposite from what sometimes we may think. We think at times we can just fall into something, but that never happens. You only fall into sin. You only fall into um, Lacksig daisical um, coasting in life. You fall into that. And, and so it, it takes a process. One of the things I, I love and admire about men and, and, and women, uh, like, let's just say, uh, Nick Shabin in Alabama, if you're a football fan, or, or, or I'm going to bite my tongue here. and. And, and to say the New England coach because you know he's sometimes hard to, to love, but if you look at their programs and the legacy they've created, it is that they have a process and very intentional on in everything that they do, even though they may scrowl at everything, they still have a process and work that. And so, when we think about being a success and being successful, we need to understand that it takes a process, it takes intentionality. We need to understand what step one is, what step two is, and then moving on to step three and, and following. We bring that same mentality into our our spiritual life. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, in my discipleship, I will not fall into being a more mature follower of Jesus. I will actually do the opposite of that unless I am intentional. As a church, unless we are intentional, we will not move on and grow into the maturity God would have for us because you don't fall into it. You don't fall into being in like Christ in Christ-likeness. Instead, it's going to require Action, intentionality, and commitment to work the process. Here's a statement I've made before. You cannot expect to have a great Christian life if you do not work toward a great Christian life. And so in order to become the, the Christian man or the Christian woman, the Christian parent, the, the church that God desires for you and for us to be, you and we must have a process for discipleship. Our goal as a church is to come alongside every one of us, Every one of you and us collectively together, coming alongside one, one another and helping people understand what that process is, what the next steps are, so that we can grow into maturity in the Lord. Last week we started this series that we're simply calling "Next Steps," and what it is is we're just laying out what are the next steps that people need to take, and there are three of them: come, grow and go. We believe every person needs to come to Christ. We believe every person needs to grow in Christ, and we believe every person needs to then go with Christ to serve others for the gospel. And so what we're doing over these first three Sundays of the year, we're discovering what the Bible says about how to come to Christ, why to come to Christ and his church, how to grow together in communities, what we're going to look at this morning, and then going out in service and mission for Christ. And so this morning, the, the message is simply, it's about growing. We're going to talk about this second step of grow. We're looking here in Luke chap- or, uh, Acts chapter 2, it's written by Luke. And we started this week, this this study last week, and looking at the early church and how Luke describes for us what was taking place there in this early church. And we see that Luke tells us how the church came into existence. It tells us how it was birthed. And it tells us there in chapter one that Jesus was out there on the mountain just before he ascended. He gave the marching orders to the church, and then Christ ascended to the heavens. He told the believers, 120 or so, to go into Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes with fire. It rests upon each one of them, and they begin to speak in, their, in languages that they didn't either speak or they didn't understand, but the people could hear in their native tongue who were in Jerusalem, and they began to wonder what's going on. A spectacle broke out, as we see in chapter 2. So Peter and the other ten disciples stand up, and they begin to proclaim the gospel. They begin to tell the people who are wondering what's happening, why it's happening. They begin to speak of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He describes all of these facts, concluding in in verse 36 that God the Father has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. And so all of these devout Jews who are in Jerusalem at this point for this festival begin to hear this, and they ask a question of Peter. What should we do? If Jesus, this man who's been crucified, that we were saying crucify, 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 if he is in fact Lord and Messiah, Lord and Christ, what is it we should do? And Peter looks at them and says, you need to repent and be baptized. You need to place your faith in Jesus and identify with him and others have identified with Christ. And so we see that day that 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to put Him in charge of their lives. The church was birthed on this day. And for those of you who would say, man, I just don't like a big church, uh, the first church that ever started was a megachurch. So that's just free for the taking this morning. And so 3,000 people made up the Jerusalem church right off the bat, that's pretty amazing what God did here. And then we discover what these new believers began to do. We begin to see how they enjoy community with one another. We, we see how they became connected in a way that they had ever, never known before, a way in which their hearts had always longed after. And this was a beautiful thing. But it's not the end of their journey. The fact that the church has now been birthed is not the end-all, be-all. Now they're together. Now they're to grow. Now they're to develop as fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at verse, 30, verse 42, I should say, we see this next step. They have come to Christ, and they've come to one another in the church. Now they're going to grow. So look with me in verse 42, and let's read through verse 46. The New Testament here, as we read this and as we continue through Acts and the epistles, we see that the New Testament teaches that individuals who repent of sin and place their faith in the person and the work of Jesus are brought into the household of God. We talked about this last week. I showed you there in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, how Paul describes the body of Christ or the people of God who are now the church. He describes them as the household of God. They become part of this community of faith. That we call the church. They share a common life together as part of the church. They dwell in community is another way that we could describe it. So these believers here who make up the church are a unified body of individuals who are one together in Christ. If we were to look around the room this morning, and I, I don't necessarily want you to do that. But if you can, you look here, no one looks the same. We're, we all have different facial uh, features. We all have different colored hair. Some of us have hair. Some of us have, well, I should say, some of you have hair, some of us have half of hair, and then some of you have no hair. We're all different, right? We're, we're, we're different genders. We're different ages. We come from different backgrounds. We're from this side of the track, that side of the track. We are individuals, and yet God has brought us together under one banner, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are individuals, but unified together with Christ. So this early church here presents a beautiful picture of what this community looks like. These believers recognized that it was Christ alone who brought them near to God. Outside of that, they probably would have never affiliated as closely and, and been as connected as they were, were it not, for Christ. See, their belief in the gospel ushered them into eternal community within the Godhead as well as with other Believers, And so what we see here at the outset of this early church is that the disciples of the Lord Jesus, those 12 and those who made up the 120, were closely connected to him. They became this genesis, this beginning of a multiplicity of small groups who met in the temple courts and met in homes throughout the city of Jerusalem. This church of individuals became a body of believers experiencing community together. Look at verse 46. It says, "They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers." Verse 46 here points out the early church met in both large corporate settings as well in smaller group settings. Uh, all of these things could't have taken place in a big setting. Some of them needed to take place in smaller settings. So what we see here is that the church expressed community through, not just the corporate setting, but in small groups last week we talked about the need to come to Christ this the, the idea there is obviously the gospel but when a person comes and unites with the church and begins to connect we understand that in our culture in this day and age the the usually the first way to do that is in a Sunday morning worship setting such as this and so most people will come and they will c- come to the church hopefully if they're not saved, hear the gospel, respond in faith and repentance to the gospel, and then they are connected to the body of Christ. But as we see in the early church, they take it a step further. You can't just come, you also need to begin to grow. And and this begins to take place best in the context of a small group. So this early church was worshiping, they were fellowshipping, they were ministering to one another, they were praying, and they met together in these small groups as a community of faith. Uh, For us as believers in Jesus, how does this apply? We are, think about this, we are members of the church universal. When I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, I was, as you, if if you will, I was baptized into the universal church of the Lord Jesus, past, present, future. So I am a part of the universal church of Christ, as you are, of all of the saints from past, History. I am a part of the universal body of Christ with everyone who is alive in the world today. So we have brothers and sisters all around the globe in the universal church of Christ. And we are also members of those who have yet to even be born and who will profess faith in Christ to come in the future. So we're part of the universal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, even though we understand that teaching, that doctrine as it's laid out in Scripture, what we see in the New Testament is that the church Universal, yes, but always expressed locally, right? Who does Paul write his epistles to? He writes to the church at Ephesus. He writes to the church in Colossae. He writes to the church in Thessalonica. He writes to the church in Philippi and other places. Uh, so the church is always expressed on a local setting. We just went through Revelation 2 and 3, and we see there Jesus speaking to seven local churches, Laodicea, Sardis, Thyatira, Philadelphia, uh, Ephesus, Ephesus. So the church is always expressed on a local level. So we as believers are to be members of the local church, which can range from the hundreds to the thousands. I mean, we have a membership of, what, 225, 230. We run 150 right now in our worship settings. That's what we're averaging for our church year. And so for us, we meet together as hundreds. Other churches meet together locally as thousands. It doesn't matter the size. We're to be a part of the local body of Christ. And so, this biblical community or life transformation, if we will, which God desires in us, is not going to be fully expressed, fully experienced only on a large level. It has to be fleshed out on a smaller, more concise grouping of individuals. So, think about what Jesus did. If you say, I don't know if I agree with that, I think it's just good enough to come to worship, I think it's good enough to sit, listen to the sermon, sing some songs. And, and, and just go do what I want to do. What did Jesus model in his life? Who did he experience community with? He was oftentimes in a, in a large gathering, preaching, teaching, ministering, right? Uh, so if you want to look at that, that's the corporate setting. And then he had a small group. Or if you even want to take it a little bit smaller corporate setting, he had the 120 that were there waiting for, for uh, the Holy Spirit to come on Pentecost. So 120, so a small church. And then he had Who? He had the 12 that he met with, so he had his own small group. And then even within the 12, he had a smaller small group, a discipleship group of Peter, James, and John. So the four of them did things together that Jesus didn't do with the other disciples. So what we see modeled in Jesus' life is what should be modeled in our lives. Corporate gatherings as we worship together as the body of Christ, smaller settings, where we are in a small group of people growing together, teaching the Bible, praying, ministering, fellowshipping together, but then also a smaller setting. We call them D groups, and I'm not going to talk a whole lot about them this morning, but that's another aspect of how we can grow and should be growing in our faith. So we see here the early church in Acts 2, they experienced incredible spiritual growth, not just numerical growth, but they had incredible spiritual growth that that led to numerical growth as the church continued to win people to Christ. And so let me give you a couple, three keys to growth uh, in, in your life, in our lives as a, a, a local church. Three keys to, growth, to gro- growth. I got a lot to say this morning. I have a short time to say it, so I'm, I'm, I'm flying here. Three keys to growth. Number one, transformational teaching. We see in the early church, they gathered together and set under the apostles' teaching. You say, what is, what is transformational growth? What is that? Well, it's teaching for transformation. It's teaching for life change. It's not teaching for, for knowledge per se. See, there's a big difference between teaching for information and teaching for transformation. Teaching for information uh, seeks to fill the head. Teaching for transformation seeks to fill the heart. <clears throat> it's good to have a knowledge of God's Word, but here's, here's a statement. It's even better for the knowledge of God's Word to have you. That's what transformational teaching is. It's when those, this church is setting before the apostles and they're connecting all of the dots that have been in Scripture and, and they're lining them up with Christ. And what the apostles are doing is they're trying to help these new believers, these new Christ followers, live out this new faith. Not just to give them a head knowledge, but to change their heart so that they don't sin against God. I'm reminded of Psalm 119, verse 11, where David says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we take the word of God and we allow it to change our hearts. Thus, it changes the way we live our lives. A second key to growth is authentic community. God here created people, uh, as we read the whole scriptures, we see that God created people to experience real relationships with him as well as other people. Community, we see it in the creation we see it uh, in the calling of Israel. We see it in the church. All throughout the Bible, we see that God calls us to himself and calls us to one another. These are deep relationships. They're not merely acquaintances. All of us have many more acquaintances than we do friendships, right? We need friendships. We need to develop friendships with people. The Bible says here, Luke tells us here, that they had fellowship. They experienced fellowship. The Greek word is the, is the word koinia. It speaks of It speaks of partnership. It speaks of common interests. It's this idea of of lives being intertwined with one another. That's why we believe you need to come and grow and then go. See, what happens when you come and you sit in the worship service is that you begin to see faces, right? You begin to see the people who sit around where you sit. I got a cough here for a second. I didn't want to blow your eardrums out. How many of you sit in the same spot every Sunday? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying, right? (laughs) Because when you don't sit in the same spot, you usually do. You make my mind freak out because I'm looking for you, right? I know where you sit. So some of you are lying this morning. Most of us are creatures of habit. I am a creature of habit. I do the same thing every single day. And unless I'm intentionally trying to change it, I'm not going to change it. I'm I'm a rut guy. And it's hard for me to get out of the rut at times. And and so um, it's important that we, that we experience relationships. Experience. It's important that we create uh, opportunities to deepen our community. And so what happens on a Sunday morning, if you never go to a small group, is you may know faces in this room. You may know some first names. More than likely, it will never go beyond that. So you have no real relationships within the church. And what happens is you will only grow to a certain Uh, point in your spiritual life because you don't have other believers speaking into your life and growing together. Also what we see happening, statistics will back this up, studies will back this up, that a person or a family who comes and just only comes to worship, never connects into a small group, never connects to other believers in the church, within five years they will not be in that church. Most likely they will not be in any church. We need other believers. God's called us, created us for community. So authentic community is what the early church is experiencing. They're sharing their lives together. It's skin on skin. It's life on life. It's the idea that I know him and he knows me. She, I know her and she knows me. We need authentic community, not, not surface level community. So this early church enjoyed fellowship. They enjoyed breaking the bread and prayer together. The breaking of the bread is, is the Lord's Supper, but it's also fellowshipping and having meals together in each other's homes. The, the language there can lend to both understandings. See, what's going on in the early church is that their vertical union with Christ resulted in a horizontal union with other believers in Christ. Do you have horizontal relationships within the church? That's easy. The best way to find those is in a small group. All right, third key to growth, and then I'm going to fly. Genuine accountability. Uh, we see here in this early church, and I'm going to read through the lines, which is typically dangerous to do, but if you read the rest of Scripture, for instance, if you come to Acts chapter 5, if you're reading through the Bible with me and several others, you read this a week or so ago, and you see there the first real sin in the church once it's launched, and that's Ananias and Sapphira who lie to the Holy Spirit, lie to the apostles, lie to the church about their gift to the brothers in the church, and so we see there that Peter holds them accountable to the way they were living their lives. So it's not that I'm reading into the, the, the text. It's just there. It's not necessarily in this passage. It's, in a, it's, it's quickly coming in the text. So when we have authentic community, when we have teaching that is for transformation in a person's life, it leads to a level of accountability that we all need. See, there was a freedom to speak into one another's life in the early church. There ought to be a freedom in your life, a freedom in our church, a freedom in our small groups to hold one another accountable. Not uh, lording over their lives, but speaking into each other and saying, brother, we love you. I love you. But what's happening, what I'm seeing here is not an expression of faith. It's not, it's not where you need to be going and vice versa. But just raising the level of our spiritual growth is what we see taking place. So we believe every person needs to connect with Christ. We also believe every person needs to c- connect with Christ's local church. As I said earlier, many times the first connection is this service, at least in our culture here in Powhatan, um, Others may come to small group, but rarely happens the first time. In fact, what we've learned is that most people who will come and visit us will come several times, five, six, seven times in worship before they ever go to a small group. In fact, that's why I came to you about a year ago and I said, hey, let's consider flip-flopping our times because when I became pastor four plus years ago, intentionally we put the worship service first because we want to be able to say to people coming, we believe the next step for you is to take, uh, take this step and find a small group. And we don't want it to just say, we'd love to have you next week because uh, we had Sunday school or small group at, at 9 o'clock and now it's 11.45 We want to say at the end of our service each week, we believe the next step for every person who's not connected to a small group is to find a small group. That's why we did that. But what we found is most people are not connecting right off the bat. And so I thought, well, maybe if we flip this worship service to the later time, it might be more conducive for families that don't like to get up as early on Sunday morning. They can come here, and then eventually they'll connect to a small group because they're not doing that the first time. But you chose not to do that, so we went on. Again, we're creatures of habit. We trained you to come to worship at 9, and you did not want to change it, which is fine with me. We will roll on because I get up early on Sundays no matter what we do. Um, so, again, small groups are important. The next step in our discipleship process is growth, spiritual growth. We want everyone to grow. It's okay to not be okay in your life. If you're, if you're in here this morning and, and your life is full of sin, It's not necessarily great that you're full of sin, but it's great that you're here this morning because we know that Jesus forgives, we know Jesus redeems, we know Jesus restores, and he will do that in your life if you'll put your faith and trust in him. And then you can begin to grow and pursue all that God has for you in his design for your life. And so life transformation is what God wants for you, and we believe it happens best in the context of a small group. I've said that word, small group, about 50 times already this morning. I hope you're getting the picture. So, we want to move you from the crowd. We want to move you into what we would might call a core group of people. Let me give you seven reasons community is important, and I'll do this quickly. Reason number one I know when you came in, you saw 10, ten blanks. Man, I don't know if we're ever going to get through this. I promise we will. Ten, nine minutes, will be done. Maybe. Reason number one that community is important. You belong in God's family with other believers. It's important because you belong in God's family with other believers. Uh, Ray Ortland said this in his book. The Christian who is not committed to a group of believers for praying, sharing, and serving so that he is known as he knows others is not an obedient Christian. He is not in the will of God. However vocal he may be in his theology, he is not obeying the Lord. You say, how can this guy Ray Ortland make such a strong statement? It's because it's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. It's exactly what we see in the, in the New Testament letters. It's the people of God, the individuals, believers, are always connected to the body of Christ. The gospel knows nothing of Lone Ranger Christianity. There's no such thing. Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The gospel brings us together. Paul says also in Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we make up the church Second reason community is important, you need encouragement to grow spiritually. I, I'm a pyro by choice, I guess. I don't know. I've always been a guy that dislikes fire. You know, you can be uh, not necessarily 100 degrees outside. It's like, I don't like staying next to the, um, the gates of hell in the middle of the summer. So I don't necessarily build a fire in the summer, but as soon as it starts to cool off at all, and I'm outside and I've got wood to burn, which is, we live in Palatine, we've all got wood to burn, right? I start a fire. And when you think about a campfire, you think about a bonfire, you think about all that stuff, a lot of times when the, when the wood begins to, to really get some hot coals and things begin to fall off, what happens to that log that kind of falls off and gets off by itself? What happens to it? It begins to cool down, Right begins to cool up. Why does it begin to cool down? Because it's not next to the body of the fire. So the church, when we're gathered together as a body, we help stoke and to kindle the fire of God within us. And so I love what Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. When we gather together corporately in smaller settings, we stir one another up to love and good works. We need, you need encouragement to grow spiritually. Number three, you need accountability to grow spiritually. Uh, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Hebrews three thirteen, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians six one and two. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Over and over and over again, we see in the New Testament this idea and this concept of brother and brother, sister and sister, encouraging, strengthening, praying for, and admonishing one another to grow spiritually. You need accountability in your life. You need somebody to speak into you, and you need to speak into someone else's life. Number four, Jesus is present when believers fellowship together. Uh, Matthew eighteen twenty is a pretty f- uh, familiar verse, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I mean, think about this. We are individual temples of the Holy Spirit, right? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you if you're a believer in Jesus. So I don't have to go to a temple to offer my praise to the Lord. I don't have to go to the temple to worship necessarily the Lord because I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple. So what happens when we together come together? I used to love Transformers as a kid. I'm I'm old. I'm almost 42. So some of you might know what Transformers is. Some of you younger folks may not know what that is. But I love Transformers, little action figures. And at times you could get the Transformers that you could take one Transformer and connect it to another Transformer and build a bigger Transformer. You remember those? And, And so that's kind of the idea here is I bring the temple with me, you bring the temple with you, and together we build a big temple for the glory of God as we gather. You see that picture? When we worship together, Jesus is present. Is he present when I worship on my own? Absolutely. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. But when we collectively gather together, what a glorious, glorious event that is. Number five, there is power when believers pray together. Uh, Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you, if if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father, by my Father in heaven. Man, think about what happens when the church prays together. This morning I was reading in my devotion time in Acts chapter 12. And if you're reading, you, you read this. So persecution was really beginning to break out against the church Herod, the king at that time, in prison. He's killed uh, uh, James the son, of, the brother of John. Now he imprisons Peter, and so the church went to praying, fervently praying for Peter's life. And, and so what happened is Peter's there, and I was amazed. I really had never noticed this before in my devotion time or my study of that text, even preaching that text. but Herod put incredible amount of guards around Peter. I forget exactly how many, but it seemed to me as I read it this morning, an overreach. I'm thinking, it's just Peter. He's a fisherman. He's a preacher. It's not like he's a Navy SEAL or something. Why all of these guards? And so he put all of these guards in front of him, around him, chained him, and the Spirit of God sent an angel and led him out of prison. Why did that happen? Because the people of God were praying. The rest of the story is he goes, he knocks, the little girl comes and opens the door. He's like, oh, my gosh, it's Peter, and leaves him him at the door. And he's like, i got to get in here. It's kind of funny. The Bible can be comical. There's power when we pray together. Number six, fellowship is a witness to the world. When we gather together, it is a witness. Jesus said in John seventeen twenty one that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, as I said earlier, we are a bunch of different people. Different economic levels, different educational levels, different sides of, this, uh, of the county. Some of you have high-speed Internet. Some of you are still living in 1996 with slow Internet or maybe no Internet. I don't know. Some of you have flip phones. Some of you have smartphones. God has brought all of us together under one banner, the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we fellowship together, it is a witness and a testimony to the world of who Jesus is. Number seven, you are obligated to every other Christian. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5 and verse 27, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see what these, these apostles are saying, what the New Testament teaches us is that we are obligated to one another, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's never good that brothers and sisters are separated. Right now, I'm um, on our news feeds lately for the last week or so. There, the United Kingdom is embroiled into this royal controversy as Prince Harry and Meghan have decided to leave the royal family. I look as an American, I'm like, I don't care, who, who cares? I don't live in, the, in, in Britain. I don't, I've only been there at Heathrow Airport. I don't know anything about Britain other than that we came from there, many of us. I don't care. But think about what's happening in, in the royal family. There's a split. You've got one, one uh, relative that says, we don't really want to be as close to you as we should be, and so they're, they're splitting. That happens in the church all the time. That happens weekly on a Sunday morning when you who say, this is my church, this is my family, but you only come and you sit in this room and you have no real deep relationships amongst this family. You're obligated to every other. Does that mean you can't come (laughs) or you can't leave? No, that's not the case. You can come and go as you please. We're not even going to force you to go to a small group. We're going to encourage you to go to a small group because we believe and we are convinced that the way you're going to grow in your faith most efficiently is in the context community with other believers. That's why I would dare to stand up here and talk so much about it. And so life transformation happens best in the context of a small group. So do you understand the importance of this next step? Uh, today, if, if you're connected or not connected in a small group, then uh, I really do believe you're short-circuiting your growth trajectory. It's not good to be a regular attender, or it is good to be a regular attender, but it's not good for you to stay there And just rely upon this 75-minute service week in and week out. You need relationships. So what is your next step? Perhaps your next step is to come. The greatest need in your life this morning is you realize, I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I am walking into the guilty distance. I've never experienced the the forgiveness of Christ. I am like those in this passage in Acts chapter 2 who says, what shall we do? What must we do? And we would say to you this morning, you need to put faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, and trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've been visiting with us some time. You're a believer and, uh, and for you it's, I need to come and connect with this church. I need to, I need to begin to pursue membership. I need to, to, to figure out what that's all about. I would encourage you in a moment when we do our time of response, you come. If you need Christ, you come. If you want to begin the process of, uh, of joining this church, perhaps this morning you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and I've just never been baptized. This morning, time of response is for you as well. Um, you come forward and, and we'll begin that process of talking through your testimony and, and uh, following through with the believer's baptism. Or perhaps you're a believer, you're a member of our church, you've been baptized, and you're just sitting there and you're saying, I'm not connected to a small group at all and I'm really kind of just spinning my wheels spiritually. Help me, pastor. Uh, at the end of the service, if you will uh, come to the front here when we all dismiss, I, myself, or someone, one of our other pastors or leaders will help you find the small group for you to visit even this morning, but Nick's going to come in just a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come now. And, and let's just ask the Lord to, to speak into our lives and to help us to take whatever that next step is. Father, thank you this morning for being a God who, who doesn't just save us and leave us. Lord, you save us and you walk with us. Your desire is for us to grow spiritually. Your desire for us is, is to become like Jesus. And Father, I pray that you will bless this time. God, I think for the example of the early church that we've looked at and, and I know for all of us in this room we want to, we, we want to experience all that you would have for us. So God, I pray for those that I've mentioned there, there may be some that need to come to Christ. The greatest need in their life is, is to have their sins forgiven. And so I pray that even right now you're impressing upon their hearts this great, great need. God, I pray that you give them boldness and courage to step out of their seats and come down this aisle just a moment and to say, I need to know Jesus. Bless this time as we respond. Father, we never want to hear the word of God and, and just decide to do nothing. Good. We want to respond and respond positively in obedience and in faith. So help us to do that as we sing in we just a moment. Pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand our feet around the room and let's sing.